Vision, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we lovingly drizzle weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we're looking into National Science Week. The Ultimo Science Festival and the Live Futures Festival contained within it. But first up, here's the news with Caitlin Howlett. <laughs> Turns out that feelings really can be lost in translation. A recent report in Current Biology says that Westerners read facial expressions differently from Asians. Westerners are said to pay more attention to the mouth, whereas Asians focus heavily on the eyes. Rachel Jack from the research team at Glasgow University in Scotland says, We show that Easterners and Westerners look at different face features to read facial expressions. The researchers also found that more mistakes are likely when interpreting people's emotions from focusing solely on people's eyes. Rachel Jack says, Westerners look at the eyes and mouth in equal measure, whereas Easterners favour the eyes and neglect the mouth. This means that Easterners have difficulty distinguishing facial expressions that look similar around the eye region. This perhaps highlights cultural differences when it comes to social acceptability of emotions. What makes you get a good night's sleep? Is it fluffy pillows, counting sleep, a bed that's not too hard and not too soft? A team of scientists claim they have identified a gene that regulates the optimum amount of sleep each person needs. The study was recently published in the journal Science and it could show why people need some less sleep than others do. Lead scientist Hing Yui Fu a professor of neurology at the University of California, said people who needed less sleep have a mutation in the DEC2 gene, which also helps control circadian rhythms. listening to Diffusion Science Radio, brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Next up, Mark West talks to Jackie Hayes about the Hello from Earth project, sending messages to the nearest Earth-like planet outside our solar system. Joining us is Jackie Hayes. Jackie, you're involved in this Hello from Earth project. What's this all about? Hi, Mark. Uh, yes, I am. Hello from Earth. Uh, it's a project run by Cosmos magazine that's basically allowing anyone, Australians or people around the world, to write a message which we are going to beam to the nearest Earth-like planet. 
Now, Mark, have you have you been to our website at all? Hello. I I have. Hello from Earth.net. That's right. Okay, so hello from Earth.net. You go there and you have 160 characters, uh, which is about the same as an SMS. So with these characters, you can write um, almost whatever you like, and you have 12 days to do it. So at the end of August, we will close it down, no more messages, and then we're going to beam it out from Canberra, from Tidbinbilla, from the Deep Space Tracking Station. What, what planet are you sending it to? We've chosen a planet that is called Gleesa 581D. So that's how you say it, Gleesa. Gleesa, yes. Right. <laughs> yes. And um, according to some of the messages that we're receiving, this is a particularly unoriginal name. <laughs> <laughs> and someone mentioned that uh, there's no possible way that it was discovered by marketing consultants. That's true. But Gleesa is actually a catalogue of the nearest stars to Earth. So Gleesa 581 is the 581th star in this catalogue, and D is one of the planets around it. So 581D, that's the planet we're going for. And it was discovered about two years ago. Now, around a star is a ring, an area called the habitable zone, which astronomers believe might have liquid water. So if you're too close to a star, then all the liquid water would burn off and the radiation would be too harsh. So think of um, the hot surface of Mercury, for example. Mm -hmm. And if you're too far away or a planet is too far away from a star, then any water that might exist might be frozen solid. So out around um, Saturn and Pluto, uh, we don't really expect to find uh, a lot of examples of liquid water. But this planet that we've chosen, Gliese 581d, they think might be a candidate for being in this habitable zone. So it might have liquid water. Now, uh, we know on planet Earth that uh, liquid water is necessary for life. So, you know, that's kind of what we're going for when we search for other planets that might have life. And so do the aliens of Gliese 581D need to have 3G mobile phones to, to get these messages? Or do they have to have Twitter accounts? How, how, um, how does it all work? Um, preferable. But if you, if you just friend them on Facebook, um, right. that should be okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the, the messages that we're going to beam out, they will take about 20 years to get there. So December 2029 is when they're expected to arrive. And they're going to arrive as a radio signal. Uh, in a bunch of binary digits. So anything that you write on the site will basically be transferred into like a wavelength of 21 centimetres. And then obviously they'll have to have some way of translating that into English. Um, they'll have to have full use of our numbers and alphabet and sense of humour. <laughs> and is this the first time we've sent messages to aliens? It's the first time we've beamed it at what we think may be a habitable planet. We have sent out messages before, just out into the cosmos, hoping that one year, billions of years from now, someone might come across it. Uh, and and some <laughs> there are some funny ones. Uh, I think uh, the Beatles tune, Across the Universe, yes. was beamed out a couple of decades ago. Oh, right. But this is the first time we've carefully selected a target that's inside the habitable zone. And have you yourself written a message yet? Of course I have. Mark <laughs> West, have you written one yet? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'm contemplating. I've got a, another couple of days to do it. What did you write? Look, all of the messages on our site, some have been in goodwill. Others have been sending these aliens information that we know. 
Um, but I personally went with the bumper sticker humour. Right. I went with the message, if you can read this, you are an alien civilization. <laughs> I like uh, it. Which, which was um, which was carefully thought out by me. It was it was the winner after my other two options, which were, can we please have Elvis back now? <laughs> and the other one was, you had me at hello. Uh, oh, I like that. So uh, so yeah, I, I went with the bumper of sticky humor, and I, I hope people who read it, you know, get a kick out of it. I think maybe I'm going to steal one of them for mine. I like it. We we have had a couple of celebrity jokes on, on the website, but we are trying to limit them a little bit. And what do you think we should do if somebody responds? Do you reckon we'll even detect them responding in the first place? Well, I mean, there's a whole series of ifs before we get to that, right? Um, yeah. So if, they, if life even emerged on this planet, if intelligence emerged on the planet, if they have a radio receiver pointed in the direction of Earth um, in December 2029, and then if they have the technology to respond... But let's just say, for example, we do... For the sake of argument. For the sake of argument, we do receive a response sometime around 2052. There is actually a carefully set up international group that deals with anything that Earth might do if we detect extraterrestrial intelligence. So I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope we'd all become friends and maybe they'd be able to come and visit us and stuff. Let's have them around for tea. Yeah, or a cold one. Or a cold one. Thanks for having me on the show, and I look forward to reading your message, Mark. Thank you, Mark and Jackie. And if you'd like to send your own message, go to hellofromearth.net. So you have more characters than Twitter. You have 160 characters to put in by Monday the 24th of August. So, Caitlin, have you sent a message? I have sent a message. Uh, I actually said that um, 30 years from now I'll meet you halfway. So <laughs> I thought that was at least being a little bit hospitable there. Um, but, yeah, these messages, there's been some very interesting ones coming into the website. Uh, you should log on and have a look at the top messages link, also on the best messages so far. Uh, some of my favourites, I think, are um, how come you never call anymore? And also, I tried adding you on Facebook many times, but I had no response. If it's about the drinking, I can change. <laughs> or um, another one of my favourites, uh, yes, hello, I'm looking for a man they call the doctor. Don't suppose you've seen him. Uh, there's been plenty of invitations to interplanetary barbecues. There have even been dates and locations. Uh, 6 p.m., 4th of October, 2452, my place, BYO Meat and Beer. Numerous amounts of beer invitations. It seems that the aliens must have a strong appetite for beer because everybody seems to think that they want some. I suppose it just seems to be that sharing kind of uh, over uh, beer with friends. So I guess that's our way of saying peace. And, uh, <laughs> or saying we want to make sure that your intelligence is lowered and your brain is inhibited for a while. <laughs> they may not understand that. That could be hostile. That's true, yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of worry. Some people say, oh, gosh, we don't want to antagonise them and so on. But um, at the same time, you know, at least we've got to send something out there because it's going to be bits. And so we need to, you know, send something out. And it's raising awareness of the Gleaser 581D planet and it's also um, imagine the conversations around the dinner table there'll be people talking about alien life forms like they never have before and these Gleasians and there's so much more awareness now about this and another really important point about it is that it does probably need to happen uh, not just once but we need to send more of them because the message will be sent will be a few blips 
and then there'll be nothing and they might not even have a chance to decode it or record it or capture it at all. So if they know something has happened and they're out there, those Gleesians will have to keep sending messages as well. Well, that's right. I mean, they might have seen just a blip and they're going, is that, I don't know what causes that. Is that artificial or is that natural? And then they have to figure it out and they might not. That's right. There's been loads of mathematical equations going up on the website, loads of pi, one plus one equals two, look we are intelligent (laughs) life over here. Obviously, if we can add those things together and love to share a beer. Uh, Also, a number of people have been um, just putting in Roman numerals as well, Mm. just um, showing counting. Wow. Yeah, a number of things have been going in. Um, Binary ones, people have been uh, trying to say things in binary, but of course we are going to translate them into binary at a stage later on anyway. So So they're actually making it harder for the aliens instead of easier because (laughs) the aliens are going to receive a binary code in radio and they won't know the key to the code. So they'll have to actually figure out how these words are encoded or basically how that, that the binary encodes for visual information. It, assuming that they, they are visual creatures themselves, but otherwise they'll have to work it out and then they'll have to decode the language. I went to the Live Futures Festival at the College of Fine Arts in Paddington this weekend and I spoke to Natalie Rowland. I'm at the Live Futures 2020 Festival in Paddington, the College of Fine Arts. I'm Natalie Rowland and I'm a researcher and I've collaborated with Pruni, um, who is a design student here at COFA for the Live Futures project. And what are you a researcher in? All different things, design research, market research, lot. And you're into this local project, can you tell me Yeah, so I guess we were given the task to put together an installation for Live Futures and we wanted to tap into themes of community, sustainability and connectivity. We wanted to really build on existing communities that were happening rather than trying to develop an alternative space and drawing people there because that's a lot more difficult. So we... um, had interest in themes around food growing your own food mm-hmm. we wanted to make the project really fun because sustainability can be caught up in lots of what you should do we wanted to keep it really accessible um, and a gentle intervention um, into people's day-to-day life so the actual project's really an experiment and what yes. we've done is we're giving out organic seedlings we've got cauliflower broccoli Rock- We've got rocket, parsley, and we've also got some native, flowering natives, to bring bees back into people's um, backyards as well. So people take a seedling, adopt it essentially, and then we ask them to keep us updated with the progress of their garden Mm -hmm. over the next three to six months on this website, livelocal.org.au. Right. And Live Local is actually a site that pretty much depends on user-generated content. So right. there's lots of people in the space doing experiments. They may say, mm-hmm. oh, for a week, I'm not going to drink any coffee out of a you know, disposable coffee cup. Okay. How, and then they reflect on that. What did, how right. hard was it? What did they come up with as a solution to that um, experiment? 
people that are growing their own permaculture, setting up a permaculture garden in their backyard, and then other people feed in and help a person carry out that experiment. So it's a really rich source of information, showing people put videos up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we wanted to direct people to an, that existing community right. through what we're doing. So people adopt a seedling and then go on to Live Local and tell us how it's going. Terrific. And so permaculture is when you've got a whole little ecosystem in your backyard to mm. use natural fertilisers instead of buying fertilisers at the shop. Yep. yep. It's trying to minimise the outputs coming into your space so you can use compost, you can have a worm farm. There's lots of things, I guess, that you can do in your backyard. Keep chooks, perhaps, if you've got the space. But, sure. yeah, very popular. And the other element that we were looking at was community gardens as well. So we went and interviewed some community gardeners in Randwick, Glovers and Angel Street in Newtown. And just to meet some of the gardeners, we filmed it so people can meet some of the people in perhaps their local area, find out more about what the community gardening group mm-hmm. is about. Well, so community gardening, is that where there's a bit of council ground that everyone's Yeah, in some instances on? the council owns the land, yes, largely, and it's people will come. It's different systems in different places. People may have to pay a membership fee yearly to join and have a private plot. Others, it's just about what tasks you do, you become a member. You can you can essentially wander in when it's working bee, open hours, just to talk to someone, find out more about, mm-hmm. learn something. Amazing people in the gardeners in terms of the knowledge base, the wisdom and the diversity of its life experience. So I think there a lot of the gardeners talk about it as a sanctuary mm. and it's perhaps more than a sanctuary in some ways. I mean it's it's a model for social change in a very doable way. Yes, yeah, very community building. Exactly. Yeah, mm. very much so. Um, in a very natural, not overwhelming way, you can commit yes. as much as or as little time as you like. So right. Yeah, I've learned a lot through the process of, of, of going out and meeting the gardeners in my area. Um, mm. Yeah, And people can grow so much in such a little space. Yeah, that's what you realise, um, how... Uh, the opportunities, you know, you need water, light, good soil. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So if you're at home and you've got some food plants, you've got mm. some veggies or some fruit, mm. and some of them need fertilising and you don't want to go off and buy something that's been shipped in a great distance or even, you know, made with fossil fuels... Mm. Do you have to run a worm farm or have some chooks? Is there some other way? Well, that's if you've a got good a flat or a yeah. Small I mean, people have the bokashi bins, and oh, yes. part of our experiment was also to hand out uh, stickers that people can put on their doors, right? To say, look, I've got a worm farm. I've got a whole lot of worm juice. So it's about putting what's inside the house outside. Mm, That's sure. where Inside Out came from in terms of the idea as well. So if you've got compost but you don't have a worm farm, that type of thing. So a very gentle experiment mm. in that. And I was quite interested in those bakashi bins. I know one of my friends has used them, so I've looked at them. So that's basically a way of having a bin indoors that you put all your food scraps into. Mm. And if, correct me if I've, if I've missed a step. And what they've got some little type of bacteria you can spread as a powder Mm. that manages to compost it without smelling bad at all and then you 
get the juice from that and put it out on the garden and then eventually the whole lot goes out on the yeah. garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I personally haven't had a Bokashi bin either, So, but I, I've heard a few people having them um, with mixed experiences, I guess, as well, in terms of how well it can work, but they're, they're a good alternative. That just seems like one of... You want something to start off with is that it's a gentle impact, so it's not a big commitment. Mm. Is a worm farm a lot of commitment? Well, I've got a worm farm, I'll be honest, mm-hmm. but my partner pretty much looks after it. So to get me to go in and really get amongst it is a big commitment in my mind. But I think a lot of people love that process and it is a remarkable ecosystem in itself. Yeah, it's a good question. Does it take a lot of... Ma- I guess I'm trying to work out how much maintenance. If you were to stick... Do you, can you stick a little... I mean, I haven't even looked at one of these oh, things. okay. Does it just stick a little box in the corner of the garden yeah, and I mean, give it enough water and food, or what do you do? Yep, you essentially collect your food scraps. You have sort of three layers that are about sort of half a metre by 30 centimetres, or 30, and you essentially put the... Comp- you compost in you have to keep putting paper in so that it doesn't get too heated and too mushy because then fruit flies etc come into it so you've got to really work with that balance and then the worm juice literally just comes out and it's the main thing is just maintaining that balance between sort of the air and the liquid within that system ecosystem Mm. that if you let it get out of control lots of other Things are Animals drawn to join it. In. Yeah, exactly and if right. Get controlled. It's just the worms and just the juice that you can fertilise your fruits and veggies with. Yeah, yeah. And then if you live locally like that, lots less fossil fuels are burned, less pollution, and we're all better off. Definitely, definitely. Terrific. Thank you. At the Live Futures Festival, there was a workshop on living in cities of the future with Dr. Fang, and I'm speaking to Fang. Talking to Fang. And your area of speciality? Oh, I'm a, I'm an I'm a, a academic staff in the School of uh, Fine Art, a College of Fine Art, School of Design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking more the more general uh, term, talking about the city of the future. What are people you know uh, wanted? What is people expected? Of, uh, basically, we're talking about you know the our inhabitants, uh, citizens upon view. You know, uh, from their from their point perspective view too, to talking about the future. So it's yeah. what it's like to live in the city of the future. Yes, yes. And it's very much talking about uh, whether, you know, a future type of uh, consumer pattern, lifestyle, and then and, uh, and all of, uh, follow this particular issue and the, all the relevant um, the issue like, you know, transportation and, and, uh, and, and public uh, space. And, and aged people and all sorts, all sorts of issues relate to the city living. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you were talking earlier about buildings one and a half kilometers high. Oh well, that's uh, one of his program. We, we I just picked from you know the uh, one of my uh, the collaborator here and just example mm. from a Spanish architect. You know that, that's an interesting project he has done. That you know, yeah. So what would you think, what sort of big changes will happen to the way we live in cities in the future? Well, I suppose there's no certain answer, answer for this question, but clearly in a sustainable living, you know, that's a major uh, task, you know, I suppose, for every 
every people, professional people, non-professional -prof -prof uh, people. Yeah, that's a, uh, and, and, uh, eventually we, we, we try to, uh, to go towards this direction and uh, encourage people and uh, make as, uh, most of people of, of this city a citizen city and stand the importance of the sustainable issue yeah, for the city. Yeah. The, today's workshop is a kind of very open-end uh, you know, workshop. We, we, we probably can't uh, have a have, 100% you know, kind of answer to all those questions. We just post on the, you know, the big issues you know, mm. about city of future and uh, and encourage all the participants come here to have an interesting discussion mm. and even debating for this issue and from all you know different perspective talking about the issue that's the purpose of this yes. workshop yeah so a sustainable city would it be collecting its own rainwater Oh, that's I suppose just one of technical. I mean, uh, uh, part and you know, collect the water. Okay, use the solar power energy and you know share the car and uh, let, use less kind of uh, resource and all sorts. Of, that's all is kind of uh, kind of technical part, and mechanism part. We 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 encourage people to apply for that. Clearly, we if we want to achieve a kind of a, you know a sustainable future of the city. And uh, science, uh, not te modern technology, will play a very important role. Clearly, you know, we 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 will benefit of this kind of uh, latest achievement for science research and new, uh, you know, latest technology, which happened in now and the future. Yeah, I, and now that's other interesting. I um, mean, the feature of this workshop, we're talking about a collaboration, you know, conversation. We try to engage all the people from different areas to, you know, the, uh, to focus on the, the suspendable issue. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure. Hi, I'm Dave the Happy Singer, and you're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, or wild passionate praise, if you'd like to contribute to Diffusion and hear your own voice passionately communicating science on radio, then send email to diffusion at 2ser.com. That's diffusion at 2ser.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program was Caitlin Howlett, Jackie Hayes, and Mark West. Diffusion has been produced in the studios of 2SCR Sydney and is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
Bye. 